Welcome to How We Run, the podcast about nonprofit success. I'm Trent Stamp, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lacatur, and I help nonprofits with strategy, fundraising, and digital media. This episode is a bonus conversation sparked by our interviews on volunteer management. Take a listen to hear how funders look at volunteers and how to be more strategic and intentional with your volunteers. As a funder, when you look at evaluating a program, where do you, how do you look at volunteer programs? What are you looking for in them? Are you weighing that a little bit differently or are you, I think sometimes people think, oh, I want to show up the volunteer part because it seems like a really good value because we're getting a lot of free labor. But I don't think that that's how funders look at volunteer programs. No, I'm not interested in volunteers that come down and and lick envelopes for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm interested in you deliberately recruiting people with skills who you think can provide add-on value to your organization, who can do something. Perhaps you have a young staff and you'd like to recruit some older volunteers to work to, to balance that out. Perhaps you have a staff that's primarily female and you'd like to have some male volunteers who can come down. Um, whatever. You want people from the community because your staff doesn't actually live in that community. Um, you know, I'm looking for people who have an intentionality to their, to their volunteer recruitment. Um, I'm looking at people who take it seriously, um, who see this as an important part of the organization and not just something you do to cross the box, um, to make a funder happy. Um, and I'm looking for people who, who think, um, who have an opportunity for those volunteers to get something out of the experience. As we talked about before, um, you treat volunteers like free labor that just comes in and does your work for you and you're able to keep your budget low. Um, it doesn't do any good. Those people don't stick around. They don't quit. I mean, they don't stay um, and they don't develop any sense of purpose. So deliberately going out of your way to get purpose, to get stability, to get longevity um, and looking for a particular set of skills or a particular um, diversity in who you're recruiting. Those are the kinds of things that, uh, that we're interested in when we're funding. Yeah. So let's think about what are those tactics? What's the advice we would give to an, uh, an organization on how to develop intention how to do and develop great recruitment and then longevity with volunteers. For me, it is online application to volunteer. Like that has to be on your website and you must have a way to bring people in and it can't be a PDF that you download and write out in pen and then fax back to the organization. No, I mean, you have to make things, you you have to take it seriously. Like there's an entry point. Everything you and I are about to say is going to be (laughs) examples of you value that volunteer. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would go so far as to say whether it's full-time or part-time, you need a volunteer coordinator. Not just, you know, it's everybody's responsibility or the receptionist up front can hand them a piece of paper, you know, or whatever. You need someone who goes home at night and thinks, how do I get more volunteers? Where do I get them? What kind do I want? Um, somebody who strategically thinks about it. If you want to incorporate this type of programming into your organization. Yeah, agree 100%. And I... I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but I think the volunteer coordinator should always be in the development and communications office that they should report there. 
Oh, absolutely. Because those are the people that talk externally the most. So to have sometimes volunteer falls under program. But for me, I think it works best when you're with the other relationship managers. But it just goes back to what we were saying before, what I was saying before, which is you're taking it seriously. Yeah. Because if you're taking it seriously, you think that recruiting a high level volunteer is equivalent to getting a $15,000 check this year, because that's the kind of value that that person can bring to your organization. And that's the kind of positive impact they can make on your organization. If you just think of it as, oh, we're a place where people can come hang out and fill out envelopes. And I saw that my peer at the SCG conference I went to had a bunch of volunteers, so I should have a bunch of volunteers, but you didn't really think about it. Um, then I think that you're setting yourself up for failure. But absolutely, they should be in the development world, the communications world, the volunteer coordinator, because they should be trying to recruit a high-level volunteer um, in the same way that they're trying to solicit a high-level donor. Awesome. Um, I mean, I, you know, I like it when nonprofits try to steal good volunteers from other nonprofits. Yeah. Um, absolutely. If you see people who are good, um, they're worth their weight in gold. If you get somebody who shows up every day, who's smart, who's connected to the kids, who has great patience, who will do other duties as a sign, you know, or whatever those types of things, you wouldn't think twice about trying to recruit the guy that gave them $25,000. Every good development director is looking at the list of who gives to their competitors. Um, they're, you know, they're pouring through that list. They gave, how come we haven't gotten money from them? Um, that kind of thing. So I think that you should go to their volunteer organization and activities um, and try to steal their good volunteers. Look for the one that's working really hard, who's emptying the garbage cans. <laughs> Look for the one that's you know, volunteering with the kid who's a little bit of trouble. Um, let's make volunteers you know, to be like you know, athletic recruits nowadays. Let's try to get Let's them. do a draft. Absolutely. Ooh, It'd be okay. great. We should compete for them. <laughs> Um, the flip side of that for me too is an, I think an organization has to have some kind of mechanism in place to grow really good volunteers. And if there, there has to be volunteer training, like an onboarding process. I think that I'm seeing a lot of volunteer places, places I've volunteered that are just like, oh, great, you're here. Here you go. And you're like, whoa, I well, don't know what I'm doing. What's implied in that is that what you're about to do, here you go, is something that doesn't require training it, or it requires low level training. You're saying that, you know, they think you can learn it from a book or you can learn it from a manual or that type of thing. And my response would be that if they think that you can do that, then A, they're not valuing you as an asset to the organization. B, they're not asking you to do anything particularly hard. So, I mean, I want them to be, to think we just got Julie Lacouture in here. Oh my God, we need to spend a week with her because she is such an asset to this organization. We are so lucky to have her as a volunteer that we are going to train her like crazy because if we train her and we get her to buy in on what we're doing here and we show her what we do here, she is going to bring an exponential bang for our buck to this organization. Well, I don't have a week for this training that you've set up. I, um, you, you, you will because I'm going to make it fun. <laughs> oh, okay. We're going to bring you pizza. We're going to bring oh, you pizza, friends. Yeah, my week is, my week is clear. <laughs> we might give you a t-shirt. But I, think, but I think even if the work's not hard, still just a 
orientation. Well, of course. That's like, of course. here's where you fit into the ecosystem. Here's what we do. Because I think that something we miss a lot is that volunteers talk about the organization. And if we haven't given them accurate talking points, what they talk about is the is the one sliver that they did. And sometimes that's not the full picture. I don't need them to be able to recite the mission statement, but I do want them to understand the bigger picture. I would argue they should be reciting the mission statement. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like you wouldn't, you know, well, not as a pledge, not as a sign of solidarity, <laughs> um, but you're absolutely right. They're going to be the number one proselytizer for your organization. They're going to be out there. If nothing else, their daughter or their friend or their neighbor is going to say, what'd you do on Tuesday? And if they just give some sort of mishmash version of stuffing envelopes for something that's on the corner that, you know, they think does good work. That's fine. Um, it just doesn't build a movement of any sort. So you need them to go out and be able to speak articulately and speak passionately about the work that you do. Yeah. My other non-negotiable on volunteers is that I think that volunteers should be allowed to and encouraged to post on social media. Like they should be given parameters for how to do it, but then definitely, definitely encouraged to share their experience. I think sometimes like we're putting volunteers in like kind of a lockdown of, of don't do that. And it's, it's a, it's a missed opportunity for organizations. They should be encouraged to (laughs) post on social media. It's not that they should not be not discouraged or whatever the proper double negative is there. They should be asked to do it. They should be incentivized. They should have a contest every week for the volunteer who had the best social media posts. You win a chance to go outside to do your work. I don't know. I mean, you get to wear the funny hat I'm starting at to work. get like a picture of your office of like, do you not let them go outside? We rarely go outside. Right, okay. no, they're, they're chained That's to the their desks in, in horrible Beverly Hills. Um, and then I think the other thing I always want to ask volunteers to also support the organization. I think they should be brought in as donors in a soft ask and not in a hard ask. But I think that's, that is some of, that's some of the best prospects for funders that you have um, as a nonprofit. But it's an easy ask. If it's such an easy it's ask. It's an easy ask but if you value them yeah. and if you show them the value of their work, every volunteer, whether it's $25 or $25,000, yeah. wants to write a check because they want to believe that the place that they're working is a good place. Um, if If your volunteer who's giving up their time doesn't want to give you a few bucks, that's a bad sign for everybody involved, including the volunteer. If you don't feel motivated to write a check for 50 bucks after going down there and giving them your time, go find another organization. Go volunteer somewhere else because you should feel good about giving your time in the same way that you feel good about giving your money. Absolutely. And I think that there's definitely a case to be made of some people have time to give and don't have money to give. And I say, well, yeah, we treat them like we treat everyone of like, yeah, we just wanted to ask and invite you to do it. And we're not mad at you for not doing it. Absolutely. Um, if but you have a quality product, and this is the thing that if you have a quality product to sell, um, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. 
you should be excited to ask people about it. You know, I mean, if your grocery store is selling the, you know, the greatest orange in the history of the world, they're not, they're not embarrassed about it. They say, these oranges are amazing. Don't you want to give me a few bucks for these oranges? If you're selling an awesome nonprofit, you should love to go out and ask people and say, would you like to support this? Because we're doing something really cool and the value to society is going to far exceed whatever few bucks you give us. Yeah. Any other advice you'd have on volunteer recruitment? Um, I mean, oftentimes, you know, this is this is obvious, but um, the best network is word of mouth from other volunteers. So you have a vested interest in creating a high quality program for that person. You might say, you know, well, I don't need to do the training and the orientation and the um, the volunteer recognition and all those kinds of things because I only have six volunteers. If you treat those six volunteers great you'll have 60 volunteers um, and it will grow from there because people ask this question all the time. They say, you know, what are you doing? And you say, I volunteer X and they say, Oh, what's that like? That's the first thing Mm -hmm. they say. And if that person can say it's fabulous, then, you know, someone else will come along. Right. Because people like, you know, that's the other thing. Volunteers like to volunteer with their friends. Yeah. They like to hang out. They're going to do work for free. Why not do it with a buddy? That's right. Um, have you seen some stuff, um, with seniors as volunteers? You always have good examples here that, that you've seen that's innovative or interesting. Um, we've seen, I mean, we have, uh, we have a handbook, um, which my director of communications would kill me if I didn't, um, give the, uh, uh, the URL, which is just at eisnerfoundation.org slash volunteer handbook. And you can find that in our site, but eisnerfoundation.org volunteer handbook. And that's, that's designed for nonprofits, um, to, f- to identify how to recruit, how to retain, um, how to celebrate their volunteers, um, primarily senior volunteers. So, um, but it just goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, we've just been amazed by the number of organizations that have decided um, to recruit senior volunteers because they thought that that would make us happy as an intergenerational funder. And then six months later have come back to us and said, I don't know why we didn't do this in the first place. These volunteers are so much better than, you know, the 22-year-olds in college or the 26-year-olds in grad school or the mid-career professionals who can give me an hour every, you know, other week kind of thing. Um, these people are more reliable. They stay longer. They're more empathetic. They're more patient. Um, they're better skilled. Children learn better from them. Um, and oftentimes they have more fun um, and they get more, you know, health value use out of it for themselves, which is always good. You're running a volunteer coordinator program and you look around and you go, wait a minute, that lady lost 20 pounds, you know, and you ask her why she lost 20 pounds or what she did. And she'll say, because I started volunteering here and, you know, I have purpose and I have a reason to get up every morning and, you know, I'm around people who are encouraging me to eat well. Um, so it's okay to, to allow those, those external benefits uh, to your volunteers, even if that's not the mission of your organization. Yeah. And you made me think of another point too, which is like the stories of volunteers are also program impact. Absolutely. You have to get to know your volunteers, like give them a database record so you can keep track of them, right? Like sometimes they just get, they, they're no man's land of, of people in the organization, but it's a really valuable part of program impact. But it just goes back to my one thesis, which is if you take them seriously, good things can happen. Well, there you go. That's all for today's episode of How We Run. Please check out goodwaysinc.com to find past episodes of this podcast and other tips about working in nonprofit. If you have any questions you want me to ask a funder on this podcast, you can tweet me at goodwaysinc. 
Please subscribe to How We Run on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Thank you for listening. I'm Julie Lacature, and we'll see you next week for another new episode.